Hey everybody, this is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, my name is Ari and I am an action sports athlete and I've been working really hard lately to bring you nuanced conversations, some interesting stories and people with perspective. So, if you appreciate this podcast, consider donating to support the show. That is paypal.me slash in the air. I really appreciate all the people who have reached out, who have shared the podcast, trying to get that message out there as well as donated to support it. Today, I've got a rad interview with my friend Evan Garcia. Evan is a whitewater kayaker at the highest level. In this episode, we talk about kayaking in general and the places it takes you, the self-reliance, the commitment, the feeling of being in a river. We also talk about the coronavirus and risk assessment in a new paradigm of whether or not we should be kayaking right now or paragliding. We also talk about running waterfalls and we also talk about Evan, Isaac, and Ben's experience running the Little White Salmon at 5.6 feet, which is a video you should check out on Evan's YouTube. It's absolutely mental. This is a sweet episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Without further ado, here's a little music and my interview with the man himself, Evan Garcia. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, bro. Nice to be here, Ari. It's, uh, it's an honor. So, of sorts, you know. So, I, you know, I have swam through enough class five rapids to be terrified of it and also have lost my affinity to let myself be in that environment. But you and I paraglide together. That's typically what we talk about, but I would just love to hear about kayaking. And I think honestly, like I want to hear like what, like what is whitewater kayaking? Like what even is that? Like when people ask you, Oh, whitewater kayaking, what does, what does that mean? Like, what do you tell them? Oh man, that's a crazy question. Um, I, I have a really different relationship with, kayaking than with anything else in my life because my dad was a kayaker he owns a kayak store in bozeman montana where i grew up so from like the moment that i remember life i remember kayaking being like a part of it and we would go to the river and watch my dad in idaho and um yeah he was a pretty good kayaker back in the day and uh so for me it's just like it's just part of life but to other people who see it, it's such a, it's an interesting sport. You know, you strap yourself in this like colorful cooler and you just send yourself down these like terrifying rivers <laughs> and it seems real. I mean, it's an incredible sport because it's, it's attracted so many different people. So there are like real cowboy, just cavalier people out there, you know, boating over their head. And then there's people in the opposite spectrum that it's like a, it's like an art form and they're, they're very kind of 
you know, technical and, and, um, precise about how they practice the sport. So it's definitely been a wild ride being a part of whitewater and its progression over like the last 20 years. I've been paddling for over 20 years now. And, um, man, it's an amazing sport. It's just like the places, you know, the places it takes you and the, it's the opposite of paragliding, you know, paragliding, you, you get to just go above everything and look down and in kayaking, you go to like the nooks and the, and the crannies of the earth, the gutters of, of planet earth. And you explore these like subterranean worlds that are just, you know, unearthly, just beautiful and completely wild. So, so it's a really unique sport in that, in that sense. Wow. I love that comparison. Paragliding, you just like zoom way out and kayaking, you just zoom way in. Yeah. Just totally zoom in. And that's like, it's blown my mind. Um, you know, paragliding across mountain ranges, especially mountain ranges where I've spent days, um, in the bottoms of those canyons and to feel like that just vastness in the, and the scale of, of paragliding is unbelievable. I mean, you can fly over these places that on the ground just seem like you could never escape or you could, you know, be walking for weeks and, and not know where you are. And, and on a paraglider, you can glide over that Canyon in five minutes, you know? Yeah. So that's been a really cool part about flying for me. Um, just that, that contrast there. Yeah, totally. Tell me about these places that you go. Like what's what, like, tell me about the crannies. What is it like being down there? Oh man, they're freaking magical. You know, it takes a lot of different geological phenomena to, to put together one of these runnable like box canyons. Um, it's gotta be the, the right kind of rock. You know, it's either granite or volcanic basalt like we have in the Northwest or in Chile. Anywhere where you have big volcanoes or like those, you know, just big, granite mountain ranges, they create really good whitewater and riverbeds for what we're looking for. So these places are really special. You know, it's not just like every river is the same. It's um, kind of a specialized thing, finding a river with the right amount of gradient and amount of water and the geology all has to kind of match up. So once you do and you find that, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You go to these places and it's like God made this place for your sport, you know, this weird extreme sport that we're all so into. How can it be this perfect? You know, how can nature have created something for us just to like toboggan slide down these amazing, you know, just like some of the places you feel like, you know, nobody's ever been there before. You feel like how, how could somebody have ever set foot there without you know, this kayak that's taken X amount of years to create and all this crazy equipment and gear. So it just, you know, you have this real special and, you know, fortunate feeling to be there. And then usually in the, you know, scenarios we're in, in these class five rivers, it's also super humbling because the danger level's kind of through the roof and uh, your senses are just on overload. You're kind of like peaking the whole time. So, moving your way through one of these hard rivers and these deep kind of nippy canyons that we're always looking for. It's kind of like a surreal experience. You know, you get through it, you, you get your friends and your team through. It's a very, it's a very like team effort, you know, and uh, you come out the other side and it's like, it's like rebirth into the normal world, you know, yeah. and you just feel so fortunate to have like experienced those, those times and those places. I love that. And the, when you say that the, the risk is through the roof, that's not just the water that you're running, but the remoteness of the place that you're in, right? Totally. Um, you know, like most of the people that I kayak with, their skills are totally on point. And um, it's usually nothing ever happens when we're pushing the highest level. It's always the times kind of where you let your guard down and then the place really um, gets you. And then, yeah, in these rivers, you know, you don't have um, access to help. You don't have, some places you don't even have the option to exit the river canyon. 
And that can be super scary because, you know, we're not, some people are really experienced climbers, but I know I'm personally not super experienced with, you know, climbing and, you know, especially wet, mossy rocks and to escape and then perhaps set up a rope system. So yeah, you have a ton of exposure when you're stuffing yourself into these canyons and, uh, yeah, that's definitely something that keeps you on that high alert and just like sensory overload. You're just paying attention to everything. And uh, I think that's where like the addictive feelings kind of come from. For sure. Yeah. Being on like the edge of what is possible and what you're capable of. Yeah, definitely. Just that limit, you know, just like riding that limit. And, you know, for me, I've always loved to push the limit, but I'm also, I had such a slow, you know, learning process. I was really afraid of whitewater at the beginning. So I had a really slow um, progression into the sport. And like I said, it's felt like it's just been a part of my life. So I, I can't imagine the different feelings that people, you know, some of these people I'm in certain rivers with, some of them have been kayaking for three years, four years, five years, and they have to have a different, you know, mental state and, um, and experience than I do. Yeah. Doing anything from the time that you're a child, especially in extreme sport tends to lend itself towards mastery at a level that most people who learn in adulthood can't imagine. Right. That's like the Tio de Blick in paragliding. You know, the guy has been kiting a paraglider since he was eight and started flying pretty seriously when he was 10 and did his first hundred kilometer cross country when he was 12. And like, now he's just like tumbles when he was like, before he could drive a car, he was literally tumbling his paraglider. Literally. And so I guess I never knew that you had been kayaking that long. And I think when we first met, I, uh, you know, I have some kayak friends here in Bend and I said, yeah, do you know this guy, Evan? They're like, you know, he's like one of the best whitewater kayakers on the planet. Right. I was like, oh, yeah, I knew he was good. I, just, I guess I didn't know that. Yeah. The whitewater community is small, man. So we all, we, everybody knows each other. And I, I was just making so many movies, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, I was just making internet movies like so much so frequently that everybody I was kind of like in the blog world too before there was vlogging and before the YouTube craze popped up uh, I had a, a blog that I wrote on like every single time I went kayaking and put photos up like blog spot and that's really what got my name out into the whitewater world that's awesome so you've been creating from this place the whole time yeah yeah like when I was in high school I started making my own videos. They were so funny. I'm actually posting some of them on YouTube now, you know, during this time of, of quarantine and social distancing, I've been putting up a ton of old videos that have definitely never been on the internet. Some of which are pretty embarrassing, but I think people will, people will like them. They're really entertaining. It shows a lot of, you know, the progression of, and the history of, of my personal history in the sport. And that goes along with a lot of famous kayakers, you know, Rush Sturgis, Tyler Brott, Chris Korbulik, Pat Keller, tons and tons of famous kayakers. I have like endless amounts of hilarious video of them from 10 to 15 years ago. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, Yeah, you've really been uh, pumping out the content lately. You've just stuck in your house, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny because, you know, I've been on this quarantine program. I've just been, I've been taking it really seriously i haven't seen or been around any of my friends for oh man 10 days i think the last time was two thursdays ago um so yeah it's been about 10 days um but i've been going out i've been walking and i went paragliding a few times i went kayaking once i've been getting it but all solo and all kind of at a level lower than my potential i think that's pretty important to remember that if you're going to go out, you know, you're not right now. It's not the time to, to push the envelope. It's time to enjoy what you love to do and have that be your savior, but do it really responsibly and solo or with people from your own house. Yeah, I've been, um, I, I actually named it after Isaac and I's conversation and I started calling it the epidemic chill out. 
that we're finding ourselves in. So tell me what you think about that. Like, you know, in Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Belgium, Italy, Spain, France, paragliding is currently banned. There is a moratorium right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good idea because paragliding is one of those sports that accidents, when they do happen, they're, they're really, really bad. And they usually necessitate, you know, intensive care unit kind of situations, which are what we're trying to keep completely open for this crazy fucking virus that's taking over the world. And um, yeah, paragliding is one of those sports that unfortunately I just feel like the risk of bad injury is too high to just have people continue to do. Um, And then it's happened here already. There was two accidents at Tiger Mountain that needed um, medical services. And then yesterday in Missoula, a guy broke his back on Mount Jumbo and he needed to get, you know, I don't know if he was flown off the mountain or carried, but obviously a big medical situation. And that's just not the time, you know, it's not the time to, to, to be doing that. I think that you want to go ride your bike or you want to go kayaking on some white water that you're comfortable doing alone, walk your dog, whatever, man, do it. But paragliding is one of those things that it's, it's super dangerous. The, the injuries we see are just for me, unprecedented. I've never heard of or seen any kayaker hurt themselves. Like, you know, a, a stall or a spin 10, 15 feet off the ground, people come in just busted it up and that's yeah but surely you've dealt with people breaking their back on the river right yeah for sure definitely lots of broken backs that's a common one but not like these paragliding breaks like not even remotely close it's pretty crazy i've thought about that a lot over the last four years of flying it's like you know some of my friends have had like the worst um, back breaks in the sport and none of them have been even close to the stuff that we've seen in the last year of paragliding. You know, it's just, they, they have um, compression fractures. Some of them have needed surgery. Others haven't, but um, man, nothing like those, those bad crashes like, you know, Mike or, or Ryan strong, you know, just awesome pilots, awesome dudes just ending up totally broken. And it's, pretty sad to see yeah i think it it really opens up a big conversation right like you've obviously let yourself paraglide since then and have not pushed it um which is interesting because you have also mentioned in this conversation that the times when you push it nothing ever happens and it's the times when you're just trying to go out and participate at on white water that you're comfortable with that you let your guard down and it gets you so Totally, a little bit of a duality there. There is. There's definitely like so much, you know, it's, it's hard not to be a hypocrite right now because the, the times that, that accidents happen on the river, especially fatal ones, it's like, yeah, it's usually class four, four plus white water where you're cruising and you're not, you're not paying attention. Your guard is definitely down something bad happens, you're not prepared for it. Um, I feel like right now, at least for me, my guard's always up. I'm like, I'm kind of OCD like that. Um, And I have taken this thing pretty seriously. So like, I'm not flying my speed wing, even though I want to, because it's the easiest way to hike and fly right out of my back door. But it's just like coming in with so much speed. I'm not a freaking professional speed flyer. I, I like to do it. I enjoy it. But that's one of those things I can just go ahead and be like, oh, I'll just wait to do that some other time. Mm-hmm. But some nice mellow soaring session that I can go and bust out by myself. Awesome. I'm not going to be doing ground spirals or freaking sats or whatever. I'm just going to be enjoying the air you know, looking around and just being like, what a freaking world this is. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because well, this is, this whole thing is bringing that out. It's just like, frick man, taking so much for granted before this happened. It's like, Oh, uh, can we have one more day of that? Yeah. It's really interesting too, because when we talk about risk and we talk about paraglide pilots who are in, just an absolutely infinitesimally small community in America. 
We talk about whitewater kayakers who are just a tiny little community in America. And we talk about restricting their behavior and their risk. I think that from a personal, like a personal responsibility standpoint, I think that seeing your how interconnected your decision making is to everyone else's is really important. That's just like, that is something I consider to be maturity. That is just simple maturity. That's not like something that needs to be heightened right now. And I think that, you know, what we're talking about looking at the safety net that we typically have beneath us, that is this first world medical system. And any day we go out and push, we're thinking, okay, like if, you know, shit hits the fan and my friends get me out of here and I go to the hospital and that's, that's a, you know, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable thing to lean on. And right now we're like, well, maybe, you know, like there's a chance that that won't be as good of an experience for me, even selfishly, you know, like there's a chance that I'm not going to get the care that I need right now. And even further, there's a chance that my getting the care could negate someone else getting the care. But on a broader picture, on a broader societal implication is like just the risk that everyone takes all the time. Like, you know, we're not, you know, they, they have shut down paragliding in Spain, but have they like sent out huge warnings to like how people drive or like whether the drivers are looking out for bicyclists more or like, you know, like so many risks and like, especially even our personal decisions of like, whether we smoke cigarettes or not, whether we drink, what we eat, how often we exercise, how well we take care of our mental health, all of those things. We're beginning to see that the, the, we're beginning to see more clearly the interconnectedness of all of us, right? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think that this thing is going to be a catalyst for some serious change, man, because, I mean, I, I believe that before this thing is done, it's going to blow everybody's mind. I think it's going to, it's real scary and it's here and it's like doing its thing. You know, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg right now in the States and um, yeah, I mean, we just sat there and just abused and abused and abused for how many generations, you know, the human race. I just feel like we're the only animal on this planet that can just be told how to save yourself and just blatantly ignore it, you know, and just be like, <laughs> you know, every other animal that lives on this planet, they instinctually just try to save their lives every minute of every day, you know, they eat to survive. They, they stay together to survive. They move to survive. And we're just like a shit show, you know, like we're a pandemic in our own right. And it's like, if this is the time (laughs) that we get taught that lesson, you know, that we have to change, you know, then this is what it takes. And it's sad and it's, you know, terrible, but yeah, I think that we've pushed, pushed the envelope so far with the food that we've created, you know, the freaking genetically modified crops and all this crap that's just poison. And what is it going to do to you? You know, in the end of the day, it's going to change cells and microbes and viruses and bacteria into some freaking man-eating shit, which is, I think, what we're seeing, you know, and hmm. it's yeah, it is what it is. You know, I think this thing is going to cause a lot of change and hopefully for the better. Hopefully for the better. Yep. Hopefully for the better. Yeah. I think yep. the possibility for change I've been talking about in my podcast recently, is just like that we have a, so much kinetic energy in the system right now. Like the ball, the snowball is at the very top of the mountain right now and it's going oh to roll God. down. Like, is it going to crash down into the village and like destroy yeah. everything or is it going to like crash down into the lake and peacefully melt so that we all have more water and are yeah. more abundant. And that's a really big question. And I'm so yeah, curious. That's one of my biggest worries lately is like, how do we kind of push the ball? How do we push the snowball into the lake instead of into the village right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be a freaking interesting Netflix series to watch real life Netflix series, you know, (laughs) unfolding in front of our eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to be wild, man. I have had a feeling, you know, for the last few weeks, 
you know, I was probably one of the first people in my community to start really taking it seriously. And uh, I was late to the game too. There was a guy who's a really great friend of ours. Um, we kayak with him all the time. And he started getting all conspiracy theory on the coronavirus months ago. And he went to the grocery store months ago and bought like fucking lentils. And he's, you know, he's not a panic buyer, but he just stalked himself and was like, I'm ready for this thing. I talked to my friends in DC. He's a slalom kayaker, race kayaker from Washington, DC. And, and he was like on board with this thing in January. And, uh, and we were like, Oh, this crazy old baby, <laughs> you know? And yeah, dude, straight up, man. I have had my own progression from that. You know, I've been yeah. so skeptical of the media and the government for so long and rightly so. Yeah. It, you know, like this, it, I've been talking about this a lot lately, just like the information ecology, how difficult it is to trust information or how much mental bandwidth you actually have to put into things to, to discern for yourself, whether it's true or not. And it's like, especially in our meme culture and people are just like so quick to have a fucking opinion without really skewed. It's very skewed opinion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. hard right now, you know? It's, it is. It's really hard, man. But really it just hard. really just raises the question of like, okay, like if we need collective action that's like across all of civilization, how do we make that happen? You know, like the idea yeah. of like, okay, there's an asteroid and it's going to hit Earth and it's going to hit Earth three Thursdays from now unless we all come together to shoot laser beams at it just at the right time. Yeah, People are like, totally. this thing, NASA is making this up, dude. We didn't land on the moon. Yeah. We didn't fucking yeah. Buzz Aldrin's a fucking liar. And <laughs> they're just trying to get our money. And it's yeah. like it's like it's difficult to discern, you know? It and is, that's the man. thing. Like the the well of information in our civilization has been shit in and pissed on for so long that everyone's like, you know not to drink that, right? Like yeah. of course you you never drink that. If the media says it, it can't be true. And then you're like, well, and now yeah, the question I've been story about oh, oh, the question man. I've been raising lately to those people is is can it be both? Can yeah. it both? Can it be both that there is a virus that creates an existential threat to humanity? That there is a risk that is on the horizon that could really like bring our entire society to its knees? Could it? Could that be true? And that the government is going to try to use it to take control, that the media is creating hysteria around it. Can it be both? Can it be irresponsible to fly your paraglider right now and also fly your paraglider? That's really where I'm at. Yeah. Because yesterday I got to like 11,000 feet. I was like so high over Pine Mountain. It was like Pine Mountain looked flat. And I was just like. You flew yesterday, dude. I was looking at the forecast. (laughs) Saturday's forecast too. I was just drooling. Oh, it was Saturday. It was Saturday. It was Saturday. Dude, I was looking at that forecast like, oh my, this can't be happening, dude. It's March, you know? That was like a July forecast for Pine Mountain. It was pretty good. Now I have a little bit of FOMO. Just, just a little tinge of FOMO. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that that's funny little segue into FOMO because I feel like in all of this, my FOMO has just, poof, just vanished. It's just yeah. gone. You know what totally. everyone else is doing. Yeah, totally. But, and then, I mean, I have personally done some things. I've gone out and done a couple cool flights and whatever, but I've decided that I'm just not going to post about it on my on my social media. I'm not going to do an Instagram story and be like, Hey, check me out. I just flew 50 kilometers. I'm not going to do that because people who follow me, they already know what I do. I don't need to be like, Hey, I'm still doing it. Like I'm cool. Look at me. And I don't want to influence anybody else to go outside and and do that because if they see me doing it, they're going to, they're going to want to do it. You know, that's how it works. And if I can do one thing right now, just don't influence people to go out because if every single person wants to go out, it's going to be like what happened on the Oregon coast this weekend or in the Columbia Gorge this weekend. And it was a full blown shit show, man. They're like calling for martial law on the Oregon coast. They said, if the tourists don't leave, 
you know, the big places like Cannon Beach and all those, they said they were going to arrest them if they didn't leave the Oregon coast because it was like summertime madness out there. Everybody from Portland just went out of the city and it's like a shit show. So I made the personal decision to be like, I'll post my old shit. And I have, I have like a million videos from so many trips and uh, I'll inspire people to stay positive and whatever, but I'm not going to post stuff right now and be like, Hey, look at me. I'm still cool. I still shred, you know? Mm, dun, dun, dun. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Interesting questions. Like in the next coming weeks, I think that we will see some kind of more like a mandated thing. Yeah. Of like shelter in place, like a mandated shelter in place, which is terrifying. I fucking, that freaks me the fuck out. And I, uh, you know, the idea of martial law, the idea of the government having such an authoritarian hand is like, oh man, that's just like, that is so terrifying. Yeah, and is, also man. in such a nebulous thing, like I can't, from my standpoint, I can't confirm coronavirus is even a thing, right? Like I experientially have to offload my my faith into a number of different entities to discern that this threat is actually real, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not on my doorstep. It's not like a person in my street. So it's like the idea. Yeah, I guess I did. I did a lot of, of research um, yeah, and- I, I distribute, I distribute for a brand of kayaks called Waka kayaks. I'm the U S distributor for them. And they are based. The factory where they are made is in Milan, Italy. So I was like already affected by this thing before it came to the United States. The mm-hmm. factory had to close. People were sick. Their families had people that were super sick. So that was kind of a wake up call for me. And, you know, but like the five, it's like the five stages of denial, you know, it's like every single person or country or whatever is going through the same stages (laughs) of denial in this thing. I was like, oh man, how am I going to make money if the kayaks aren't, aren't being shipped over from Italy because the Italians are sick, you know, what I didn't even like spark into my head that like, you should buy lentils coming. Yeah. (laughs) You should buy some lentils, bro. (laughs) Maybe some toilet paper, dude. (laughs) It's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's such a, I don't either. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. All I know is I'm putting my faith. I, I, I believe people are good, man. Me too. This time. Um, I believe that it is going to take some serious collective, um, energy and cooperation to, to take care of this thing. And, and I've been promoting it on my uh, all of my channels, everything I can. I've been promoting people to to distance themselves because, yeah, for me, I want to do that for for me and for the greater good of people, but also because I want to get back to my freaking life. No faster. shit, dude. The faster that we can nip this thing and fucking get it out of here, out of the world, or whatever needs to happen, the faster we can go back to doing the things we love with the people we love. And that is more important to me than, you know, going to the river temporarily. Yeah. It seems like a logical uh, decision. It seems yeah. like logic there. Yeah. Good, good job, Evan. Thanks for taking it seriously. <laughs> Thanks for telling people to stay inside. I, yeah, I think that. I've definitely thrown off some pretty kooky vibes to some people, but you know, I, I, I don't care if they think I'm crazy, man. It's like, I've always been crazy. I've always been the person who didn't go to college, who just became a dirtbag straight out of high school, who never had a real job. I've always been that like kind of crazy dude. And I don't mind if people, you know, remember me as that, that guy who took coronavirus too seriously or, or maybe just serious enough, you know, mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. I've been recording a bunch of thoughts on the coronavirus and anyone who's more interested from this conversation can go look those up, but let's try to yeah, yeah. Let's this conversation it out. in the bud cool. here. I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. So I, I'd love to hear, you know, one of the first videos that you put out that I actually watched was this fly act. You call it fly acting. Tell me what fly acting is. Yeah. The fly act. It's like the combination between kayaking and flying paragliders, um, which is also like this weird thing that, 
they put these little, oh man, I forget. It's a foil. They put a foil on the bottom of a kayak. This has kind of become a thing. And they get up to speed in a kayak paddling super fast and they can pop up on the foil and go even faster. I didn't really know that was a thing before I came up with my little flyak word, but that's also a thing. Oh, flyak! Wow. The flyak is a trip or destination where you can do both whitewater kayaking and paragliding. Okay, so I I think the first one was like in Argentina, and you had your paraglider, but did you also have your kayak on that same trip? Yeah. Well, my brother lives in Chile. My older brother, he moved to Chile about 10 years ago. So I have like a good base down there and I have all my gear and everything down there. So yeah, I had kayak gear, paragliding gear, everything. Went over to Argentina, amazing freaking place for both the sports. You kind of have to get lucky in Patagonia with the wind, but um, yeah, dude, there's just these hot spots in the world where you can do, you know, I think a lot of the geography that makes paragliding good also makes kayaking good so there's a lot of the best places in the world you can do both and it's it's really cool for me to to be able to do that because with paragliding I'm like more obsessed with it but um it's a little bit like of an imbalance I feel like that sport is like such a roller coaster of emotions that if you do it too much it's really easy to burn out and I see it with a lot of my friends who go and spend like two months in Vita Bravo and all they do is just like pound their head against the pavement, XC, 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 XC. Yeah. They just burn out, you mm-hmm. know, and then their flights start to dwindle and they're not as stoked. So for me going to a place where I can do both, it makes them both even that much better, that much more special. And, um, yeah. So that's what the fly act is all about. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, just from the outside as not a kayaker, I've, there's certain videos that I see that are particularly just unbelievable. And maybe you can help me understand these. I think that there's in the Sierra, there's these rivers that you guys run where it looks like this, like, like a glacier of granite that's really, really super wide. But then in the middle of it, there's just this like little tiny creek. That is, it's, it's crazy to me because it looks like you're actually really going fast and the water is so shallow. Like there's no, you can't roll over or anything like the water. It looks like you're almost just skidding down these these glaciers of, of granite. Like, what are you thinking? And like, talk to me about like what these rivers are, where they are and what that's like. So like I, like I was saying at the beginning, it's all about, the geology and um, California, there's a few other places that have granite, but California is definitely like the most quintessential like granite paradise. You have like Yosemite like scenes, open granite faces, and then you'll get these, these creeks that um, kind of, they cut their, their, their way through, you know, these, these glaciated valleys and they, they just are perfect and they, they are slides. That's what California is famous for our slides, which is, you know, a super shallow angle of, you know, just a ramp where you're just flying down that thing in your kayak. And, um, some of them, if you don't have the right level, it's very important on those rivers to have the right amount of water, because if you have too little, it's just like, you can't go, you can't go down the slide. And if you have too much granite makes like, absolutely terminal, um, recirculating, um, hydraulics. So Mm. California is extremely gnarly when it has a lot of water. Um, why is that? Why, when you say that it's just like too perfect, you know, it's like man-made the granite is Uh, like so perfect. It makes these weirs. It's like an almost like potholes, like at the bottoms of the waterfalls and slides will be like potholes. And if you throw a lot of water in those things, the water will go deep, come up and then recirculate right back into the base of the falls. And, um, yeah, more than a few people have died in California, just like going round and round in these really heinous places where, uh, you know, a body can't, can't escape. And, um, so yeah, there is like that thing. You just have to, you have to find the right water level. It's like finding the right day. Um, yeah, it has to do with snowpack and the weather and the rain and the heat. 
but um california man it's just unreal and uh if you haven't checked it out just like google a video of upper cherry creek and you'll just be like holy crap what is this it looks like it looks like the moon or mars or something yeah just unreal it's yeah freaking, crazy yeah greatest thing ever really yeah well the other thing that from the outside when people look at kayaking and determine that you guys are all just totally idiots is running waterfalls. And a couple of years ago, I'm sure you've seen the video. I set up a high line over Saheli falls and Galen Folkhausen and Knox hammock ran the waterfall while I stood and balanced on the high line right above the waterfall. And that was just like, Honestly, like watching that, like the first time as Galen went over it, I couldn't even, like I had to fall down and catch the line. Like it just like watching him disappear into the pool was like one of the scarier things I've ever seen anyone do. And it's just like this, I don't know, like a submission, like a surrender to this hydrology yeah. that I just can't imagine. So yeah, talk yeah. to me about waterfalls and Saheli in particular. Oh yeah. Saheli is so awesome, man. <laughs> a really, um, good relationship. Oh, good and bad relationship with that waterfall over the, over the years. Um, but yeah, running waterfalls is a very, very interesting part of the sport. And as I get older, obviously my, my body's not, doesn't bounce back from impacts as well as when I was younger. So my relationship has changed a little bit with it. Um, but it's a really cool balance between timing and weight shift and precision. Um, and then, yeah, like surrender, you have to surrender to, you know, forces that are a lot more powerful than you are. And um, definitely there's like a total kind of spiritual aspect to running a waterfall because you really, can get lucky on your timing. Um, the river, it surges so much. It changes, it's always changing. And the boils at the base of these waterfalls are always surging up and down and changing. It's like it's breathing. And every once in a while, you'll, you'll run a 80 foot waterfall like Saheli and you'll land and it will feel like pillows. Like you won't even feel any impact. And then Another time, maybe even a better line, a more vertical line, a better, more pretty looking line, and you'll hit the bottom and it will freaking just rock your world, man. You'll be seeing stars, like perhaps you're concussed. And I haven't really been able to uh, discern what makes that. And I just, you know, my theory is that it's the river and it's just always changing and morphing and swelling and and these boils are always changing. And, uh, and that's kind of where that spiritual aspect comes into, you know, you got to feel, feel the flow, get into that moment and, and really surrender to, um, not, not like rolling the dice, but like being, kind of rolling the dice. Yeah. Well, accepting, accepting uh -huh. the risk of the yeah. situation, you know? Um, yeah. yeah so because, Sometimes you have great line and you get hurt and sometimes you have a terrible line and you land on your head and you're a hundred percent fine. You come out and you're like, wow, that was totally, you know, and that water's forgiving like that. It's, it's forgiving until it's not, you know? Yeah. And you never know exactly what you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, the surrender experiment right there. Yeah. In uh, yeah, I just had this conversation on the podcast with, Nick Hawks, paraglide pilot and sailor and surfer. And he's talking about how in these sports that we do like paragliding or kayaking, there are these moments, these places we can get ourselves into that not any single person or group of people of all seven and a half billion of us could help you in that situation. And I think that that is the yeah. surrender into the nature that you're referring to. Totally. And I think that's like, I mean, it's weird to say, but I think that's why a lot of the people who are into these sports um, are so obsessed and addicted to them because there's something like, you know, maybe you wouldn't say it out loud or maybe you would admit to it, but there's something like there that 
you, it's like, you know, it doesn't even need to be spoken, but there's that like addiction to to danger um, or fear or overcoming fear. And you don't have to like admit to it being a, you know, adrenaline junkie or some, you know, some kind of sadistic freak or something, but there's just that there, like we're maybe programmed just a little bit, a little bit skewy to, to like some weird aspect of that, like alone and kind of, um, vulnerable. Feeling. Yeah. 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 And it does kind of show you your place in humanity and Definitely. in the universe. Yeah. Okay. So before this whole Corona shit hit the fan, you and Isaac and Ben Mar had a little bit of a local adventure that may have been yeah. something <laughs> that was kind of on the limit. I mean, watching it from my perspective, it really doesn't look that much different than mm-hmm. some of these other just heinous rivers that you guys run. But uh, talk to me about running the Little White at five and a half feet. Yeah, um, man, that was just like an unreal experience. Like that river is so special. It has just something um, completely unique and special about it. It's our local river here in White Salmon. And uh, we got the opportunity to run it at the highest level it's ever been run at. And um, that's, it's, it's like, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but we do this river a hundred times a year, some years more. I mean, there's so many people who know that river, like the back of their hand, every rock, every rapid, every wave, every different level, like, you know, there's just differences in it. And, um, it doesn't get that high. It takes extremely special circumstances for the river to get that high. And usually when it gets that high, it's just too dangerous to even consider because, um, there's so many, things that can change and mostly wood, mostly trees that like the river gets that high trees will start to, to move and get caught up in different places. And that can, um, can lead very quickly to a bad accident. So, um, we got really lucky with this and we had a lot of snow in January. It was cold. And then end of January, beginning of February came around and it got warm and started to rain on that snow, which, you know, it's a horrible thing for, overall snowpack and and a spring runoff but in that moment we just took advantage of it and started to run the river higher and higher and um yeah it's an interesting thing because the gopro of that river doesn't really do it justice it doesn't show um how chaotic and how um and how powerful it is um it's really just something you, you feel when you're out there and especially putting on the river that day. I had been listening to so many podcasts about paragliding and, and um, there's way more of a, a focus on accidents and, and deaths and, and paragliding than there is in kayaking. Um, and so, you know, you hear this like pick the, pick your times to, to push the, the limit and pick your, pick the right time, have the right feeling. And, that day we um we put on the river I, you know we kept, we had a big talk about it the three of us and it was like all a very um you know collective decision to that it was worth the risk was worth it that day and um even though we were together you're a hundred percent by yourself you know i I was not going to be able to help isaac or ben i was just out there paddling and saving my own self the whole time um, and really like the danger there is it's, there was too much water for that riverbed, um, to be run in a kayak, really. I mean, it's like controlled chaos. We're just kind of fighting our way to the shorelines and picking, you know, these lines that we've kind of created over the past like 10 years of pushing the level higher and higher. And, um, yeah, it was like, it was un- unbelievable. It went really well. Uh, we only had a few little little bobbles in there, but, um, man, the feeling after that was like, it felt like, you know, I don't like to compare this, but like if you partied all night long and you're like coming home and you're just like exhausted and you're just like way over, you know, stimulated and everything, that's how it felt. Like I got off the river and I was just like, Holy crap. Like it was such just a, 
just experience in there and put so much energy into my paddling and whew, it was, it was wild. Um, That's rad. Yeah, it was really, really, really. Yeah. Cool. The video is crazy. And my friend, Matt Deacon, who's a really experienced kayaker, he said that he's run that river hundreds of times and watching your video, he said he only recognized like two of the rapids. Yeah, totally. It's a rocky river and there was no rocks that day. It's a very rocky, steep river. And it was just like brown thunder rolling down the side <laughs> of the, you know, hill. <laughs> and I mean, I wouldn't do it every day. You know, I wouldn't do it every day by any means, but on that particular day. And like, like I said, we had those days leading up to it where the river was creeping up in level and then dropping a little bit and staying high and staying high. And, um, we just got to practice and just get really mm -hmm. dialed. And that was like, I didn't add that into the video. I wrote it, but, um, we did a lot of preparation for that. that yeah. Day. And is that something like, do you go like scout the river and make sure there's not wood in it? every day before you get in? No. So usually what we do is the river will be kind of at normal flows, which is around like three feet, three and a half feet. And, um, there's a lot of eddies, a lot of places to stop, a lot of places to slow yourself down. And, um, so you get to know the river then, and then what happens is there'll be like a big rain event and that will force the river to get super high. So the, the real scary run is the first run uh -huh. of like the high water season. Cause that's when a bunch of stuff moves around and when it gets, uh, when it gets messy. So yeah, our first run, we usually do pretty, um, conservatively we stop and, and look at some certain things and, um, yeah, just make sure that nothing's moved around. But on that day we didn't have to, because we'd just done five or six runs at five feet, five, two, you know, it's just weird because the gauge doesn't really matter at those flows. It's just the river's out of its banks. So it's just exponentially more water as it goes up on the, on the river gauge. Ah, I yeah. see. I yeah. Can it's a wide part of the river. Yeah. Where it's going up a foot is. and a wide part is a lot more yeah. than going up oh, a yeah. foot from you three and a half to four and a half. Canyon. Totally. It's like a fucking fire hose. Whoa crazy and is that is that the river that the green trust section is on no the green trust is on the white salmon all right and then just one drainage to the west more closer to um portland is the little white salmon awesome yeah yeah that's insane dude um congrats yeah, but in the end it was insane but it was like i mean i've run the river a thousand times um so the the sanity i guess there's, there's no question that it was a little crazy, but I think that for the, for the three of us to do that, it was, it was a good, it was a responsible decision. It wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like kissing my wife when I was leaving the house. Like, <laughs> I love you, babe. <laughs> Take care of the dog when I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I totally hear that. And I yeah. think that that's just testament to how, capable we are as people and especially in teams and our progression and 20 years of doing anything and stepping it up and stepping yeah. it up, and stepping it up. And then, yeah, making those. Yeah. I think it's just comes down to being honest with yourself, you know, and it's like, I've definitely pushed over my limit and I've learned, um, what that feels like, you know, and I've learned the feeling that I get inside myself when I, when I know that I'm, um, over where I'm comfortable being. And that's, that's come from a lot of times breaking bones and hurting myself and having scary swims. And that's unfortunately part of the process, maybe not for everybody, but it was for me. Um, so yeah, now I feel like I'm, I'm older and I can make, I guess, just better decisions and, and balance that risk versus reward. Yeah. You seem to be doing that in paragliding pretty well. I have a lot yeah. of respect for your decision-making under the glider. Yeah, I feel like I'm a I'm a pretty fair weather pilot and I decide um pretty it's pretty black and white for me when it's like time to push, you know. I'm not just going to be out there every single time I fly my paraglider flying it like a madman. I'll push when the day looks like it's going to be worth it. Um and yeah, for me with paragliding it's like if it's not, if it's too windy, I, I have a pretty easy time just putting the glider back in the bag and yeah, totally. driving home. Totally. So 
I have this question about kayaking. If so, the duration of what a little white run takes at your standard three and a half foot level, how long is that? From top to bottom, uh, I mean, for, pretty good. Yeah, from top to bottom, it's a, it's about an hour. I mean, a little less than an hour. What's cool about living where we do is from my house, I can go do the river and be back in two hours. That's awesome. And what is the time on the river then at 5.6 feet? Oh, man, 20 minutes. It is, huh? Yeah. yeah it's, it's that like, much faster. It's substantially, substantially faster. Um, like, yeah, I guess, right. We took, we took our time a little bit because we wanted to make sure that we weren't totally gassed. But there's only a few spots on the river that are like, calm enough to like eddy out uh-huh. and sometimes especially on that river it takes more effort to like scramble your way to shore to stop than it does to just like stay float, in stay in the middle float take a few deep breaths and just continue you know it's almost like a routine yeah. um the little white for me it's like a it's like video game or something like this natural video game that i just know so well it's like I just know when I can. And you're like, here's the boss. You got to jump up and you got to hit him in the back of the head so he'll reveal his soft spot. And then you put your sword into the soft spot and then you got to hit him with fireballs and he's dead. And there we go. Okay. More breaths in the next level. Some Zelda, some Zelda action out there just questing down the beautiful blue waters. (laughs) Yeah. The brown, brown thunder. Not not blue that day. Not blue that day. That's for sure. Brown thunder. Yeah. Crazy, man. That's sick. Yeah. I'd love to get in that Topo duo. I'd love to do a little white or a white salmon in the front of the Topo duo. Definitely do. Definitely come do a, do a Topo run with, with Isaac and I for sure. That'd be awesome. Well, dude, this has been great. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, uh, man, just being a good voice in the community right now. And, and, uh, it's cool, dude. It's cool to have you questioning, you know, questioning the questions, questioning the everything. And, um, I've learned a lot just listening to your, your conversations and your insights on this whole thing. And man, I just, fingers crossed for, you know, humanity to, to step up. And, and so we can just get on with the rest of our lives and go out and fly XC and hitchhike with random people in the middle of Oregon and yep. keep doing our thing, you know? Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate that. All right, dude. Much love. Talk soon, buddy. Yeah. Later. See ya. All right, guys. I hope you liked that. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Evan. If you enjoy this podcast, consider sharing it, consider donating. I really appreciate it. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. I appreciate all the people who have reached out and donated in the recent weeks. Please share the podcast, get it out, and we will see you on the next episode, my friends. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. Talk soon.
given this extraordinary importance to pleasure, why continue pursuing everlasting pleasure? Thank you.